Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Our sermon text for our meditation this morning is our Old Testament lesson recorded for us in the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, beginning at the 10th verse. The Lord spoke to Ahaz again. He said, Ask for a sign from the Lord your God. Ask for it either in the depths below or in the heights above. But Ahaz responded, I will not ask. I will not test the Lord. So Isaiah said, Listen now, you house of David. Is it not enough for you to test the patience of men? Will you test the patience of my God as well? Therefore the Lord himself will give a sign for all of you. Look, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and name him Emmanuel. Lord, these are your words and therefore they are your truth. We ask that you'd increase our faith through them. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed, when I was in the service, I met an interesting individual who said at one time he was a Christian, but now he had converted to become a Jew. In fact, he told me that he was the son of a Presbyterian minister, and even when he was in college, he was involved in Campus Crusade, but now he considered himself a Jew. And I was perplexed by this. How, how could this be? I've heard of Jews becoming Christians, but a Christian becoming a Jew, how did this happen? His response to me was this, sola scriptura, scripture alone. Again, that was even more perplexing to me because many conservative Christians, I think especially of us in the Lutheran church, we, we cling to that principle, scripture alone, as the foundation for our faith and our practice not tradition, not reason, scripture alone, right? So how could it be that this individual, following that principle, turned from Christianity to Judaism? Well, he says it was as he was reading through the New Testament, as he was looking at the prophecies and their fulfillment as laid out in the New Testament, and then going back to the Old Testament. And he began to wonder, were the New Testament writers taking liberties with those prophecies were they tearing them out of their original context? And he pointed specifically to the prophecy that we have in our lesson today. He said, see that prophecy, that famous prophecy from Isaiah 7:14. it was really given to a king at a specific time, King Ahaz. It was never intended to be a prophecy for all people concerning the Messiah, concerning salvation. Well, let us consider that prophecy this morning as we take a closer look at our text. Let us see that God gives a sign for all time. He gives a sign for all time to show forth his grace. He also gives a sign for all time to give hope of his salvation. Our text for today takes place in Israel's history where now the northern ten tribes have separated from the southern two tribes of Judah and Benjamin, and they're completely different countries. And both of them had experienced kings that were wicked, that were turning God's people away from the one true God and leading them astray to worship false gods. In Israel, this was happening king after king after king, but in Judah, in those lower two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, they had some good kings leading them back to God's word, but also some wicked kings leading them astray. 
Today in our lesson, we see one of those wicked kings by the name of Ahaz, and he certainly was leading God's people astray. He certainly had turned away from God. In fact, the scriptures tell us that he sacrificed his own sons to false gods, that he closed up the temple and instead built places of worship for false gods all around his country. And at this moment in Israel's history, in Judah's history, There's a great threat to the north of the king of Assyria and and that great empire threatening Israel and another country by the name of Aram. And so those two countries try to, to join forces with Judah and King Ahaz, but he refuses. And so what happens? Well, those two nations now turn their anger against him, and he's terrified. And that's where we find him in our lesson for today, terrified that these nations of Israel and the nation of Aram are now going to come down and they're going to annihilate Judah. What does God do? God amazingly comes to this wicked king to assure him that he is going to protect him and that their plans are not going to to come to fruition. And so God even asks Ahaz, ask anything. Tell me, what sign would you have me show you to be reassured that I'm going to be with you, that I'm going to protect you. Anything you want, in in the heaven above, in the depths below. What is Ahaz's response? Yeah, thanks, but no thanks, God. Hard pass. In fact, Ahaz himself claims piety. I'm not going to test God, even though God himself had commanded him to ask for a sign. Yet God is going to give it anyway. Why would God do that? I want you to imagine that there was uh, someone in your life that was mean to you all of the time. Every time you saw them, whether it was someone from school or, or in the home or someone in society or social settings, they were always mean to you. They said bad things about you or to you, and they were mean to you all the time. And maybe you had friends that said, have nothing to do with that person. Cut that person out of your life. They're not worth any of your time. What if instead, though, you decided to take a different tact? Instead of cutting them out of your life, you decided that you were going to kill them with kindness. And so every interaction, even though they were so mean, you were kind. What might be the result? What might result is that individual might realize how nasty they're being to you. When they realize that you're not responding fire with fire, right? But you are responding with kindness to their meanness. It also would probably emphasize to those around you really how wonderful you are treating this individual. Could it be that God is doing something similar with King Ahaz in our lesson for today? You know, we think about God in the Old Testament as, as he did that with King Pharaoh in, in some ways, right? The Pharaoh, king of Egypt, right? God sent Moses to Pharaoh to command him, let my people go. And God had given Moses miracles that he was supposed to show the people and he was supposed to show Pharaoh. But even after he showed those miracles to Pharaoh, he still refused to believe that he was sent by God. He refused to listen. What did God do? God was gracious and sent 
10 amazing miracles called plagues to be to make known really who he was and what he was doing that he had sent Moses and this command was coming not from Moses but from God the one true God and he showed forth his power and yet what did Pharaoh do every step of the way he showed his own insolence and he showed his own stubbornness as he refused to believe that Moses was sent by God and that the one true God was real. Perhaps it reminds us of atheists today who maybe say, well, if there is a God, why doesn't he show himself? Why doesn't he give evidence for his existence? There is none. Says individuals who reason out these arguments with human brains, who are breathing air that amazingly exists in great quantities here on this planet, who eat animals and plants that appear only here on this planet Earth and sustain their body, and yet they demand there's no evidence for God. It stands as a testimony, doesn't it, to how great God is and how much evidence he provides and how stubborn so many are when it comes to their unbelief. But what about us? What about us, even as Christians today? Do we act in a similar way? with stubbornness. No, we can think about times in our life where we say, God, if you love me, why are you letting all of these bad things happen? You don't care about me, do you, God? All while overlooking the many decades of our life that have gone before where God has sustained us and provided for us in so many ways. Or maybe we say to God, God, you don't care about me. If you cared about me, you'd speak to me and you'd tell me what I should do with my life and give me direction, all while overlooking the thousand pages of scripture or so that he has given us clearly his will and his commands for us. We say, God, why don't you show me that you love me and assure me of your forgiveness We overlook the wonderful gifts of his word and sacraments. We neglect them even though he gives them to us specifically to be reassured of our forgiveness and his love for us. Yes, we like Ahaz and Pharaoh don't deserve God's grace and mercy in any way, yet he continues to shower it upon us, doesn't he? In fact, he showers it on one who despised God and his word, King Ahaz. And really, he gives him a sign, and it's not just a sign for Ahaz, though. God's going to go bigger and bolder. He gives a sign, really, for God's people, and really for all people of all time. Know what Isaiah says in our lesson. The Lord himself will give a sign for all of you. Right? This isn't just for Ahaz. This is for all, for all of you. God, God it doesn't request signs that we ask him of signs, ask him for signs in our own lives. But I want you to imagine what if you were Ahaz in this situation, you know, what sign would you ask for? And I think of in, in my own life when I uh, perhaps foolishly at times have asked for signs from God. God, allow the, the sun to shine today if I'm supposed to do this or that. God, uh, cause barriers to come down if I'm supposed to take this direction in my life. And think about maybe the reason that I, I never followed any of those signs is perhaps because they are things that happen every day, and I probably wondered, 
well, was it a sign from God or was this something that was just going to happen anyway? What does God say to Ahaz, though? He doesn't, ask, doesn't say just ask for a simple, ordinary, everyday sign. He asks for something big and bold, something that you can be certain that, that God is going to do what he has promised. Ask for anything in the heaven above or in the depths below. If God had told you that, what would you come up with? I don't think any of us would ever come up with the sign that God came up with in our lesson for today. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and name him Emmanuel? Who would ever think of that? It's scientifically impossible, right, that a virgin would conceive and that she'd give birth to a son and that son would be named Emmanuel, which means God with us? It's so impossible, we, we wouldn't envision it, we wouldn't ask it of God, and yet that's really the sign that God says that he gives. That God is going to give of the coming Messiah. And he gives it because it's really an unmistakable sign, so that we would know the Messiah when he appears. Not also this, in our lesson for today, Isaiah addresses not just Ahaz, but he's addressing him in his role as being a king in the line of David. He addresses the house of David. And really, this prophecy also concerns that. We think about how God made his promise to King David when he said this in 2 Samuel 7 through the prophet. When your days are complete and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you your seed, who will come from your own body. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. God had foretold to David that a seed, one from his own line, was coming, and that through him his throne would be established forever. But that wasn't fulfilled with David. David ruled and died. It wasn't fulfilled with his son Solomon, who ruled and died. It certainly wasn't fulfilled with Ahaz, who ruled and died. Yet who could this be talking about? the one who would come and establish David's throne forever. Well, that too was another prophecy concerning this one we see in our lesson for today. God clearly tells his people and everyone that he is sending one who is miraculously born of a virgin, this one who is Emmanuel, God with us. So how is this fulfilled? We see so clearly in our lesson for today, right? What other virgin can we think of gave birth to a son? What other virgin had a son who could be called Emmanuel or God with us? There's only one, isn't there? Only one virgin and only one son. We see it so clearly in our gospel lesson. Joseph, son of David, again referring to that one from David's line. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Miraculous conception, right? Conceived by God himself inside the womb of the virgin. She will give birth to his son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this happened to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's so clear, isn't it, that that prophecy is fulfilled in Christ, isn't it? 
And note what the angel says to Joseph, what that Messiah, what that Savior was coming to do. He was not merely coming to assure God's people of his protection from foreign nations. Why was he coming? You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's what his Messiah was coming for. Something far greater than earthly protection. He was coming to rescue his people from their greatest of enemies, sin, death, and the devil. To rescue them from their own sin and to give them eternal salvation. And it's quite amazing to think of who God gives this promise to. He gives this promise to an unbelieving king. He gives this promise to a people that had turned their backs on God and followed other gods and worshipped other gods. And yet God amazingly showers his grace on them, doesn't he? That he's going to give them a sign of the Messiah. The virgin is going to conceive and give birth to a son. And he's going to be called Emmanuel. God is going to come down among unworthy people. And he's going to come to rescue them, to save them from their sins. What comfort that brings to us today as well. Us who have been ungrateful. Us who have been unfaithful. Us who have turned our backs on God. Because we don't think that God has provided for us what we think he should. And yet what does God do? He gives a promise to the undeserving. He gives the promise not just to Ahaz or to God's people at that time, but for all people of all time. The Messiah is coming for them and for us as our Savior. Sadly, when he came, many of his people, though, did not receive him. But as he testifies in his word, he came to what was his own, yet his own people did not accept him. But to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. As many people, despite God's incredible grace, rejected the Messiah when he came, but he testifies all who believe in him, no matter if they're Jew or Gentile, that they will be children of God. We can be reassured of the same today. May God help us to believe more firmly in the one who he had prophesied through Isaiah. The one he had prophesied to a stubborn king and to a stubborn people. One who has come for us. One who completely fulfills what God had foretold. One who came of a virgin. One who comes as Emmanuel, God with us, to save us from our sins and to make us his dear children. Amen. Invite the congregation to please rise. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.